Hidden Greatness is an online podcast that discusses the hidden power of a subconscious mind and looks at how talented people use it to manifest their conscious reality. The show will feature individuals who have become champions in their respective careers, looking at darker light times in their lives and how they manage to find the strength to navigate their way to greatness. This week's guest is an athlete who controversially missed out on winning medals due to doping in the sport. She's a British Olympic athlete who specialises in the 800 metres, a world indoor and outdoor medalist, and even a few 4 by 400 metre medals to boot, as well as becoming a Diamond League winner in 2011. She's an honourable member of Wigan Warriors. It's the pocket rocket herself, Jenny Meadows. Jennifer Meadows, welcome to Hidden Greatness Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Yeah, I'm excited to see you, Annie. Looking I know, forward to it. I know. It's been a while. It's been a while. We 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 last went on a team together uh 2016. Wow, you've done your research. <laughs> <laughs> Not just that, but I remember watching you compete as well. I do remember you watching Amsterdam. I'm I'm, I'm trying to get That's my right. I yeah, see no, your mind doing, you know, backflips. I see that all, um, but yeah, thank you for them speaking to us and oh, obviously giving your time and, you know, learning a lot about Wigan as well. Um, <laughs> so you'll have to share with us where we can get, what is it that you eat here? The Wigan? Pie. The Wigan pie, that's yes, it. You need to get yourself one before you uh, before you go home tonight. So what's the difference between that and like one you get like in South? What makes oh. it so authentic? Oh, gosh, what makes not... it nice? I need to have my information here, don't I? Um, <laughs> I reckon, um, I don't know, down South. Pies are a little bit more crustier. Um, the full of GMO. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is more the filling. Um, so I, I don't know. I guess a pie is more of a snack. You know, it's not kind of a hearty meal. Yeah. If you go out to a restaurant, maybe down south, you'd get a pie, and it's a little bit more filling. But uh, I, I guess it's just a cheap thing that you know kind of just fills fills a gap. So uh, yeah. yes, get yourself a pie before you leave. I feel like it's made with love here. Because it's there's a sense of um, community. Yeah, in there Wigan, is. Yeah. There is, and I think people just take the mick out of ourselves as well, which is a good thing, you know. Like scousers. Yeah, absolutely. We're known as known as the pie eaters. Um, oh yeah, yeah the pie combat. Yeah. What are we even talking about anyway? <laughs> so let's go back to our. We were going. We were going right down a rabbit hole. So yeah, um, Jenny Meadows, take us back to where it all started. So oh, mum and dad, family, big yeah. family. Right, siblings I'm gonna, I'm gonna literally have to do uh my mind's gonna have to do backflips okay. now uh, yeah so uh mum dad brother uh brother three years older than me um very anti-sporty brother i think it's because my parents and i were really sporty that he just decided he was going the other way um and probably because i was the one who showed some talent um at that i mean don't get me wrong my brother actually when we first started going down to the track um so i'm still a member of the same club that i started off wigan harriers uh my brother came too which is very surprising whenever i tell anyone that because like i say he's not sporty at all i think he lasted two weeks but um i lasted 28 years so i definitely (laughs) (laughs) definitely had more uh, substance than he did but yeah like running's just something i've always been good at um I always remember back at primary school, you know, when you kind of <clears throat> do your sports day and I don't think you know that you're good at something until you compare it to yeah, other people. And, true. you know, I think I used to win by, you know, a country mile and everyone told me I was good at running. And then a voluntary coach came to my primary school, told us about the lo- local running club, Wigan Harriers. And yeah, that was it. I, I just went down and 
my mum kind of always tells this little bit of an embarrassing story, but I'm going to share it with you. But um, as you know, I'm not the tallest. Sorry. Yeah, 156 <laughs> centimetres. So that's five foot one and a third. I did actually think I was five foot um, one and three quarters, but I measured myself recently. I'm not. Um, but yeah, I went down to the track that very first night and again, you know, voluntary coach chatted to me that first evening and said, what is it that you want to do? And it makes me laugh now when I look back at it, because I was no doubt, you know, seven, age seven or eight, probably the smallest kid there. And he asked me, what is it I want to do? And, you know, I had this burning ambition and I just looked up to him and I said, I want to go to the Olympics. And, you know, it's one of those moments where it's kind of got in folklore now, but he actually meant, what do you want to do tonight? Oh! <laughs> do you want to do sprints? You know, long distance? Do you want to jump? Do you want to throw? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes I actually think, I wish I could meet that seven, eight-year-old kid who, you know, obviously didn't see any barriers, thought they could go to Olympic Games. And, you know, I think I was dead set. Like, that's what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And if I'm very honest, I think I probably thought I was going to win every single time I went to the Olympics. Yeah, we all did. Do you know what I mean? And you're going to win medals and you're going to get a world (laughs) record as well. But uh, yeah, so it started when I was seven and eight, um, right here in Wigan. And yeah, right towards the end of my career, you know, I retired, like you say, in 2016. I was age 35. And if I look at that journey from... It was January 1989 when I started and I finished July 2016. It, It was a long one, but yeah, really enjoyable. That was a long one as well. <laughs> and your very first competitive championship was the English skills as well. Yeah. So take us back to that. How how was that performance for you? Oh, so actually, you know, you've competed in English skills. So you mm-hmm. know, it, it's basically the kids Olympics. It is, yeah. It's, it's like huge. where you find like the next superstars. It is. And, you know, I've seen athletes in my club and, you know, the um, Athletics Weekly magazine that always used to come every week through the door that my parents used to order. So I kind of seen photographs and, you know, it was televised and seen some amazing people over the years. So I was absolutely terrified when I went to that English schools. It was almost like, you know, turning up at the Olympic Games and just so, so different because you're not just competing for your kind of club. You're competing for your your county school. Mm -hmm. And I always tell youngsters these days how different it was for us. So there was none of kind of staying in a hotel with a team. We used to stay with families do you remember that? Oh, Did that really? happen to you? No, or we not? stayed in um because my my first one was in Exeter in two thousand and one. Yeah, I did that one. You did? Yeah, I did. Are you that sure? One. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, that was towards the end oh, of, of your um, career. Yeah, yeah. As a junior okay. athlete, okay. Yeah, okay. Well, th- times have changed since then. Because <laughs> we stayed in the uni halls. Yeah, none of that. So it was ridiculous. Like, so where sh- was yours? So mine was in Telford. Okay, sure. 1994, I'm going to say. And basically, I remember being like um, on a minibus or a coach, and we went to like a local primary school or secondary school. We arrived and we literally almost like, you know, got um, kind of escorted in. There was um, a head teacher, and there was just loads of parents with kids, and they just read your name, and then you just went off with a family. And you stayed at their house the weekend. Like that just oh, wow. would not, you know, kind of the whole welfare. And yes. Um, and the first year I had a really, really bad experience and it really put me off. Um, and I think we only did that for the first couple of years. But um, yeah, I just remember thinking I'm with this family. I'm really embarrassed or and shy. I don't want to talk. 
you know, you were eating at the dinner table with them and they didn't really understand the significance of the event you were about yeah. to do. So we're nervous and you weren't really yourself. And yeah, I, I ran the heat. I, I did the junior girls 800 meters. Mm-hmm. I ran the heat and did really well, ran a personal best, made it through to the final. And then, oh gosh, you know, really kind of overplayed it in my head was so nervous come that final I think I ran about eight seconds slower the next day in that final and and literally I came eighth you know I I remember running around just totally excite myself out about the whole thing and you know I always tell again you know a lot of youngsters now you know just because you see an athlete on television doing really well doesn't mean these kind of skills come really easy to them I had to work really hard on it And the year afterwards, I went back to that English skills event, knowing what to kind of, you know, expect this time. And and I won that event. I, you know, the gun went, I went, did my old thing. And I remember looking back going, why was it so difficult last year? But it was difficult because it was a first experience and I didn't know what to make of it. So even at kind of 13, 14, I think I was almost doing like a little bit of sports psychology on myself without me actually you know putting a, a tag on it yeah. and just knew what I had to improve on if, if I would have ran the time um in that final the the first year I would have definitely got a medal but I just totally like I say overinflated the whole situation so yeah English schools was a good kind of like learning ground for me and I think it has been for so many athletes yeah I think so too it was definitely the same for me as well because I wasn't I wasn't expected to even do anything in my English skills, I didn't even use blocks. What? And I won. <laughs> oh my goodness. So you're one of those and athletes I that I would have seen in the Athletics Weekly winning these things and actually thinking, how has she done that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was definitely a learning experience for yeah. me. But then I think the following year I didn't go, but then a year after I, I won. So again, with blocks. Because at that point in 2001, my coaches at the time, he was just like, no, we're not going to use blocks for now. Because I'd only done like club races. And yeah. Then, but um, do you know what? I agree with that. Because you don't want to yeah. change anything. Yeah, some but people... everyone in the race was using blocks. And oh. then the official was like, um, excuse me, can you set all your blocks? And I was like, I don't know how to use them. <laughs> but I was like, no, I'll be fine. And I think I you were just psyching the opponents That's out. what they all thought Yeah. Now. <laughs> don't don't know how to do it. Don't know what my personal best is. Not really sure what the distance is. Hang on a minute. I've just won it. Love it. <laughs> I, I was, it's like running off a scratch. You know what I mean? It's just like, just kids. Anyway, I digress. Um, so a few years later, you then went on to pick up your first call up as a junior athlete competing oh. at the World Juniors yeah. in Santiago in Chile, where you victoriously won the world junior you became world junior champions in the four by four yeah amazing um god it was such a good experience just because it was so far away from home as well you know I would never have gone to to Chile you know I remember my dad actually having like this old-fashioned map and getting it out the globe yeah yeah the globe (laughs) showing my mom this is this is where we live and this is where she's going like this is how far away it was you know um for a young girl you know, um, I still live in the same village that I was born in, you know, it's, and I was kind of like doing things that my mum and dad would never have thought was kind of possible. Um, I just embraced it. I just absolutely loved it. Um, I always remember that trip. Um, anyone who knows me knows I'm an overpacker. I don't really me. think, yeah. <laughs> That's my life. You know yeah. me, I just pack for any. <laughs> just chuck stuff in, you never know. But I literally remember going to that championships and I think I took more kind of 
social worth and kit. I don't know where I thought I was going to go, Annika. Like, where seriously. Where are you going? I don't know. I took everything. Like, heels, dresses, the lot. Heels? Yeah. You never know. You never know. I don't know what I thought went on at those okay. champs. The last night, the party afterwards, that was definitely it. But yeah, I went to that champs. Um, I don't know. Early in my career, I don't want to say I was prepared to let myself down, but in my individual event, I never always did as well as what I did in the relay. I would always kind of find a good second, a second and a half in that relay. It's almost like teammates and didn't want to let them down. And yeah, in the 400, I made the semi-final, just missed the final, but didn't think I was good enough. You know, I didn't probably run with the same heart that I do when I get a relay baton in my hand. And I remember before the start of that four by four, it actually rained and it, there was kind of like a gap because of that in the in the program and I think really that's when we won the medal because we all kind of chilled a little bit started talking to each other as a team and just realized right gosh are you nervous I'm really glad like we've got a little bit of a break and I think we all just started bonding a little bit more and believing in each other um I just remember you know it was a great quartet Kim Wall you know, so so long ago, it's twenty years ago, but I can remember everything. Two hundred meter specialist, yeah, um, sent us off on that first leg. I was kind of your typical four hundred, eight hundred athlete, so I was like, kind of got my elbows out. I did that, you know, <laughs> long second leg, and um, I know afterwards when they looked at all the splits, there were some amazing athletes, some of the Jamaican athletes, you know, who's gone on to win medals at Worlds and Olympics, Joanna Pittman, of course, from Australia. When I looked at the splits back, I ran the fastest split out of everyone, you know, but I never even made the final individually. I just really, you know, ran my heart out on that second leg. And then over to Helen Karagounis, the Helen teamy at the time, and she ran a really awesome leg. And then Lisa Miller, who we both know, love her to bits, (laughs) you know, she just... Got that baton, um, and I actually thought, gosh, getting the baton in the lead, that's, like, really stressful. But she really did really well, you know, took it out quite nice over the first two and just made sure she had so much left at the end. And, yeah, I can still remember her crossing the line with that baton and thinking, oh, my goodness, world junior champions, how has that even happened? And that was just such an amazing experience and definitely one that fueled the next few years for me and gave me the belief that, you know, I can do something as part of a team and hopefully one day I can do something individually as well. Which you did do both. And then, you know, two years later, you then competed home from home at the Commonwealth Games and you picked up your first senior medal in the four by four as well. Yeah, that was amazing. You know, when Manchester got awarded that Commonwealth Games in 2002, I was gutted at first because I thought I want it to be somewhere else. I don't want it to be in Manchester. And I also thought, oh my goodness, it's going to rain the whole time, etc. But, you know, we saw in 2012 how amazing, you know, the games makers were. And I think we saw in 2002, you know, the kind of early signs of that. Um, You know, they've still got such a legacy from that Commonwealth Games in Manchester. There's still, you know, I believe a list of people who still volunteer for events. And, you know, that's some 18 years ago now. But, um, yeah, I ran in that 4x4 again with some great athletes and um to come away with a silver medal it didn't rain it didn't rain the day I ran as well which was amazing <laughs> but to come away with a silver medal from a commonwealth games um as a young athlete as well you know I was 21 years of age at the time um you know that's that's the first senior medal I got and it's actually 
the only Commonwealth Games medal I ended up getting, um, I didn't go to many Commonwealth Games. One Commonwealth Games, when it was in Delhi, I decided, you know, not to do it, uh-huh. etc. I changed from 400s to 800s. So I had a couple of years where I wasn't kind of at the right place at the right time, um, which is surprising when I went to, I think, six world championships and I only went to, <laughs> you know, two Commonwealths and only got one medal from it. But I'm really glad like I got that medal or else that would have been the one missing from our medal cabinet. It would have so I'm glad you. It would have done. It is so a nice it cabinet. I've seen it. Oh, it's thanks. nice. <laughs> I noticed it on the way in. It looks delightful. <laughs> so over the years, you'll definitely, um, you know, you play such a huge part in the 4x4 team, you know, then continuously making teams, World Indoors, 4x4, Europeans, World Champs. You know, you guys just missing out, you know, making the final, but just, you know, finishing between eighth and sixth yeah. or finishing fifth, placing fourth, which is, obviously a nightmare you, you know that situation. I know all about but, but luckily you know the other side of it I do I do you go through those moments and then you know you finally do get you know rewarded with a medal and you get your moment on the podium um but then 2007 you make your first individual in the 800 yeah so where did the transition come because I know you made you know you started out in the eight but then yeah. you're jumping between the eight yeah. and the four so where was it that took you there to actually focus yeah. on the 800 um do you know what I, I've got my parents to thank a lot because you know they both kind of took different roles so my mum is someone who does praise you quite a lot she doesn't over praise but you know I I knew in my mum's heart that she knew I was a great athlete and she would talk to me about the sport and my dad didn't really praise much and they he was kind of quite strategic so they were really bothered that I'd started the sport so young kind of just before my eighth birthday and they they'd read a lot you know there's lots of stuff out there for parents the BMC magazines British Milers Club and Athletics Weekly is a great resource and stuff and they'd read about burnout so they didn't want me to do too much too soon so I remember when I won the English schools actually I used to when I was under 15, I used to train three times a week. And then some of the athletes in my training group used to train four days. And I used to say to my parents, why can I not train four days? You know, I'm really motivated. I want to do it. But they were kind of of the opinion, well, we still want you to be doing it when you're in your twenties. We don't want you to do too much too soon. So they thought if I was still achieving really good things off minimal training, that was the best way. And they kind of did that with my 800s as well, because I was always an athlete you know, I can think back to under 15 age group, for example, I was top of the rankings at the um, 800 meters, but I was always around about third at the 100 and the 200 as well. So obviously as an under 17, you have that 300 meter option. So my parents said, you know what, while you're young, let's let's work on your speed and let's try and make it as good as you can. Because in layman's terms with them, I think they always thought I was going to go back to 800s. But they thought, you know, if you're trying to break two minutes, you know, it's a 60 seconds and a 60 seconds for 200, where if you can run 52 for a four or something like that, which Mm -hmm. I managed to do, you've got a big comfort zone. So therefore you can go through in 57 and feel quite comfortable. So they kind of plotted the route for me and, you know, and I kind of went with it. So I did my threes and did my fours, but it was probably at the point of 2004, you know, I saw what Kelly Holmes did (sighs) and, you know, being British, being female, seeing what she did. Um, you know, I did make that world championships team 2003 for the four by four and I made it the year after 2005. But I was just had this really honest conversation with my parents. Like, right, if I look at the 400 meter athletes, 
I'm not really built like them. I'm not as tall as they are. Um, my 200 meters, do I ever think I'm going to run well in the 22 seconds? Well, probably not. Um, I could kind of run 23.7, for the 200, which was decent, but I was a strength-based 400 meter runner. And they were like, look, if you can take a 23 second speed into 800 meters, that's going to be devastating as long as you can get the endurance. So I, I totally knew I would do it at some point, but yeah, definitely 2004, I saw Kelly do what she did. And then that winter I committed. So 2005 was my first year running eights. And I think I came third at the British Outdoor Champs. And I thought, oh, you know what? I've never won a medal at the 400. So this this is decent. And then 2000, and it, it was good because I was still making the 4 by 40 Yeah. So I'd not lost anything. You know, <laughs> yeah. I wasn't, I'd not lost out on an individual because I'd never had one. And the same with 2006, you know, make teams in the 4 by 4 whilst I was trying to build that endurance up. Um I honestly cannot even explain the difference between 400 training and 800. I don't I, want to know. No, it's horrible. <laughs> you just think it's just one more lap? Oh, believe you me, like most 400 meter runners can run a decent five or six, but oh, that last 200, it's shocking the difference. <laughs> like if I knew then what I know now, I might not have been so keen to do it. But yeah, I remember in 2007, obviously I made the team for Osaka World Champs and I think you know, I went there with no pressure, made the semi-finals. I think I remember thinking I was 11th um, overall, obviously eight making the final. And I thought, you know, I was a good semi-finalist. I wasn't too far away from it. And then that just really, obviously having an Olympic Games a year after just really went my appetite. And I thought, no, I, I literally remember so many conversations with people. I remember one with Marlon Devonish and he was like, oh, such a risk that you went from the fours to the eights. Like, I don't know if I was already an established athlete, whether I would do that, but you know, my sights weren't just on winning relay medals and being in squads. Obviously, I thought I trained hard enough to try and get an individual slot. So it definitely paid off. And, it, and you know, I look back and I think I finished my career when I was 35. I think I owe my parents, you know, a lot of credit for making sure I just wasn't an 800 meter runner for all 28 years. You know, I had a, I had probably like a 10 year spell where I didn't do lots and lots of 800. So I think that kind of decision and that strategy making, which I bought into it, really allowed me to have that kind of sustained career. Do you know what's really interesting listening to you say that? Um, you really don't hear from athletes, you know, athletes that we've probably been around who have their parents guide their career yeah. for them. But your parents did it in such a strategic way yeah. to help you have longevity. Because, you know, we're told in the sport when you get to 30 onwards, yeah. it's downhill. Not yeah. for me. But <laughs> I mean, now I'm 35, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, but like, it's it's definitely refreshing to hear. So, yeah. you know, that must have been a massive, massive help. It for was you. really good. And I don't know how they kind of had the knowledge of it, if I'm honest. I think they just, you know, they, they just read a lot. And I think, you know, I put myself in their shoes now. If you have got like a talented son or daughter, you know, you shouldn't just leave it to the coach and people like that you you have to kind of do your own research don't you so yeah I mean I, I did appreciate it at the time and I did know like not other parents necessarily 
come to every training session like my parents would well my mum more than anything but you know I, I used to laugh like even when I was 35 like my mum would still come watch me train once a week <laughs> which was cute and everyone would be like oh is your mum here tonight I'd be like, yeah. it's quite nice she still loved like getting involved and seeing what I did and obviously left it to the coach like ne- they never took on a coaching role so there was no like interference or- no never yeah. t- took anything like that but you know, I think it was just those discussions at home. Um, I always remember like at the end of the season, most years for three or four years and, and I'm not a crier, you know, but and I don't know why I think a girl always goes to the dad. I'd always like have a little cry at the end of the year going, oh, you know how hard I work and didn't quite achieve anything. So I think it was probably a bit of pressure from them. They probably sat down and thought, oh God, how are we going to, you know, help and negotiate this? So yeah, really refreshing because sometimes you hear about pushy parents. Yeah, a lot. Where, they weren't pushy I kind of say instead of being pushy they were more kind of pushing so they you know a young person doesn't kind of the brain's not fully engaged and you don't think rational do you know what I mean they I think they just like helped guide me and and suggest things and it was all like yeah that sounds good idea so yeah it was really good now we're in 2008 where you are working towards your first olympic games But, you know, in that particular year for yourself, um, I know as well as training for the Olympics, you were also dealing with, you know, loss and grief of your father. Um, And, you know, that's something that I have also gone through, haven't gone through it myself in 2012. So how did you manage it? Because, you know, I didn't know until afterwards as well when we were out in Beijing. Because, you know, how was it making the team having to do with that? Because, you know, the Olympic trials is the absolute worst because as you know yourself it's do or die yeah you know um so yeah how, really, how was that year for you really tough um it's funny because like we're a really private family it's just like I always laugh and say it was really idyllic like my mum's dream in life was to get married and to have a boy and a girl and call them Andrew and Jennifer and like that was her dream and like I'm like you know what everyone's got different dreams in life my mum achieved hers which was awesome and yeah, in 2008, it was one of those things where uh, my dad had actually had cancer two years earlier, but never told anyone other than my mum. So they dealt with that on their own. And I, they must be good actors and actresses because I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> so I literally remember in 2008 coming back from warm weather training and I lived um, away from my parents then. I've moved out of the family home. And I remember just coming... Um, to the house unexpected they weren't expecting me and I remember walking in and my dad was like quite ill and I was like what's going on here dad's never ill and then they they say that dreadful c word you know and I was like what you've got cancer and they were like we've got over it before it'll probably be okay and it just happened all so so quickly so six weeks later that that was there he wasn't here anymore and it's one of those things I think you either fold or you just dig deep um, I remember I had this terrible training session um, to do the day after it was scheduled. So that was on the Monday. And I remember already on the Monday being nervous about a training session that I had on the Tuesday. It's like a split 800. So you always run as fast as you can on the 500. Well, I'd probably say like 95%, <laughs> but you know 500 hurts. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? You're going to die anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then a really short recovery, maybe 90 seconds and a 300, whatever you've got left. And I remember literally thinking, oh God, I've got that session tomorrow. Because an athlete just thinks that way, don't they? And I was actually doing, it was still the Golden League then. I was doing my first Golden League that weekend. 
And I remember ringing my my agent up, Caroline, um, and telling her, you know, dad's passed away. And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'll sort it out. It was a bizlet games. I'll sort it out. Um, cancel you. And I was like, I'm not canceling. I, I need to do this race. And she's like, oh God, will you be able to do it? And actually, athletics was so important to me at that time because it was my normality. And whilst everybody else kind of was breaking down around me, I just focused on that and it just helped everybody else out, Mm -hmm. you know. And I thought, if I can just make everyone smile for a short period of time, watch me on TV, I do well in a race, it'll make them all forget it for half an hour. So I did. I remember doing really well on this training session. And again, I remember Trevor, my husband coach, just thinking, gosh, that was a good training session, as if you've just managed to do that. Um, I actually actually remember on the day, on the Monday, that um, UK anti-doping came to my house to test me. And I literally remember, I literally remember Trevor going to the door saying, oh gosh, this is like the worst time. Like Jen's dad's literally just passed away like two or three hours ago. And it was the same test who always used to come. So I had a really good relationship with her. And I, I could hear from the other room her saying, oh gosh, really sorry. Oh, but I don't know what we're going to do because the, there's lots of form filling in you know, um, you're going to have to kind of give a a testament to explain things. We'll need a certificate, the, you know, kind of copy of the death certificate. And I just came out and I was like, oh, I know you're going to be mortified, Jane. Like I'm mortified too, but we're just going to have to do this. So, you know, this is what athletics is about, isn't it? Even for two hours on that day when you're trying to grieve or whatever, like still got responsibilities. But yeah, I, I literally went to that golden league at the weekend and ran really well, um the olympic qualifying time was two minutes and i ran a 159 something you know i think that was my second oh no that was my first um olympic qualifier of the year and that year um i really remember tamsin lewis tamsin manu now australian athlete Mm -hmm. um and i know tamsin really well since i retired as well i used to compete against her obviously but i think i must have gone for a cool down and trevor was talking to her and when i came back she was like oh my God, how did you do that? Trevor's just told me like the whole situation. But I ended up having this run of about three weeks where I think I just ran on adrenaline. I won the European Cup. Um, I got another qualifying time somewhere. And then eventually I just ended up full on kind of cold and flu symptoms, absolutely drained, wiped out. But, you know, I'd qualified for the Olympics. You know, I got the time a couple of times and obviously we managed to go to to Beijing and you know that had been my dream for 20 years since mm-hmm. I was seven eight managed to do it but the only bad thing was of course that my dad wasn't able to be to kind of be there and do it but I think you find out a lot about yourself at times like this um you know you can either just sit there and kind of crumble or you can you can use it and for me significantly after that Olympics you know I went to the Olympics made the semi-final that's kind of what I was supposed to do But I really, really remember that winter, I kind of had a a moment where I was like, okay, so I've been to Olympics, I've dealt with all of this stuff, and we're going to actually try and win something now. (laughs) You know, it was a real turning point for me, and I used to get nervous before races, and then my whole mindset changed, and I was like, look, it's just a race, it's just an 800 metres, I'm running twice around a track, it's nothing in relation to life and death, like, come on. And I just think I had a real mental switch and thankfully never looked back the rest of my career after that. So in that moment, you know, just listening to you there, just talk about it. It just sounds like 
you were saved by the sport it saved you yeah and you know that and when you also mentioned about you know being drug tested the day of you know (laughs) you could not like you you make commitments to sport but um (laughs) that's a liberty for the stars (laughs) but you know what i realized as well again like like i said haven't gone through a similar experience you know as athletes we get hurt and we have an injury Hmm. we have some type of medical support but what is the protocol when you're going through grief yeah when when there's a loss of a parent or a loved one especially when it's a big year yeah i'm listening to you now and i'm like you know what everything that you said i pretty much went through myself like you go through a moment where you're just running and i was running for me dad and and then right before the olympics i got sick i got sick the weekend of trials i made the team but then in the next couple of weeks prior i was just getting ill and i was sick and it was because i never took care of myself and then you think oh don't worry i'll be fine i'll be fine it's the olympics like this is what i want to do this is what i want to do and then you know you don't you're not really looking after yourself physically let alone mentally it's just you know i just wish you know hopefully moving forward that there is or there will be something in place to yeah, deal with and do you know what? I think it's good when we speak about these things, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm actually glad that you asked me because sometimes people would skirt over that, you know, and I... You I know can, me, Jenny. I know. <laughs> but I, I've been guilty of that as well. Like, when I go in schools talking about you know my athletics career I think oh god do I tell the kids about that experience or not you know like but that was part of your journey yeah and I think will they be upset or will they like you know look at me in a certain way but I literally remember Louise Hazel Mm -hmm. um obviously the heptathlete um she lost her father the same year um and she came up to me and she said oh and she told me the tale I said oh gosh I'm so sorry I didn't know and she was like but you know what? I heard about you and I saw you win the Europa Cup. She's, and I'd like been sat at home for three months crying, hardly trained. And then when I looked and I heard about you, she was like, Ryan, I just need to get up and sort it out now. So I think talking's a huge yeah. thing. And sometimes you think only yourself is kind of going through an experience, but there's always people going through those sorts of things. Yeah, definitely. I'd, hopefully, you know, we can talk about these things because injury is one thing. And dealing with, you know, different sorts of mental health issues within a sport. But you're still human at the end of the day. You still go through all of these emotions. Yeah. And, you know, you seem to have dealt with it really, really well, considering the next year was your breakthrough year. (laughs) It was. It set me up nicely. It did. It did. So tell (laughs) us about 2009, because I was definitely, like, I was team Jenny from, no, I was always team Jenny anyway, but (laughs) just to watch you and obviously know everything that you'd gone through up until that point. I think it was just a huge mindset shift. So, you know, I I think I'd always been kind of, sometimes I'd shown some really good signs um, in training and probably quite frustrating, especially for Trevor when I turn up for a race and he'd just think, oh, I know she can probably run faster than that if she's at Robin Park and we're going in lane one on her own. Um, but it's it, it's a big thing, you know. It goes back to that English girls in my first experience where, you know, you've got a big crowd and you've got expectations and you've got the media and, you know, you know you've trained hard, etc. And it might sound strange, but you've got to be really brave just to give it your all. And I think I'd always been, like, almost scared to commit admit how hard I trained, how much I sacrificed and be scared of coming up short. So sometimes maybe I would just make myself come up short myself and it's under my control. But that year I remember doing the European indoors and I finished fourth 
and I ran a really, really quick time in semi-final and then it was a tactical final. And I remember coming away, it was a Sunday night, it was in Italy, and I remember thinking, oh, training's on Tuesday, I'll be doing a hard session. And I thought, you know what, I could keep doing all these hard sessions and I'm going to do brilliant in training, but I need to sort my head out, like, why am I not doing it in a competition? So it was a huge kind of, you know, switch of my mind. And then I started working with um, Sarah Broadhead, who's a sports psychologist, who was just amazing. So she followed um, Steve... um, Peters's chimp, oh, chimp, chimp model. model, yeah. And I'd worked with sports psychologists before, you know, some great sports psychologists, people, you know, employed or recommended by the British Olympic Association, etc. And you know, I just think they didn't give me the real understanding and probably the tools to deal with things. So, yeah, I know my heart's going to get elevated. I know my palms are going to be sweaty, and you know, things like that. But just explain why. Let me find the reasons and the warning signs and let me manage it so as soon as I spoke to Sarah she said oh you know you're gonna have to put a lot of work into it but I was at the point in my career where I was like well I I need to because this is the the final piece of the jigsaw for me but it's massive um and yeah from working with Sarah literally she'd explained you know it's going to take 12 to 24 months you know one to two years before you get these skills I just bought into it so much that four or five months later I had that world champs medal in my hand because I knew I needed to take it seriously. So she just really helped me understand how the brain works and I'm quite, people don't realise this because I think I play it quite well, but I'm quite a feisty person. No, really Jennifer? (laughs) I really, you know. Okay. So I am really feisty and everyone's always like, oh no really controlled but yeah if people if people know me well like yourself and um, I am really feisty so I am quite emotional and if I get a piece of information I, I react that way quite a lot and even though externally my body language might not show it inside my head it can be analyzing things it can have emotion it can switch off straight away if someone delivers a certain piece of information to me a certain way or I kind of comprehend it that way so just understanding why I do things and how I react just really just made, I almost started laughing at myself. I was like, I do that. Oh God, yeah, I do that. I do that. And little things like Trevor would say to me before I went into the call room, before a race, one of his things he used to say to me is, okay, kid, um, stay out of trouble, which seems like a throwaway comment. But when you're, you know, just about to almost, as I perceived it, go into battle, he's telling me to keep, okay, kid. So straight away, my brain's thinking, oh, I'm young. I I can't cope with this. I've not got the coping skills. And stay out of trouble. You know, I'd be like, trouble? Is it going to be trouble? (laughs) So straight away, I was almost on the back foot. And just a little throwaway comment where he thinks he's saying the right thing to me. So we just really worked with my team about what language they speak to me, how to say things, I worked on lots of different tasks. So I just made the 800 meters so simple. So I used to have conversations with Trevor. Oh, if it's a fast race, what are my tactics? If it's a tactical race, what are my tactics? And then I realized, you know what? I'm in the race too. So what? what's the best way for me to run it? And in the end... How do I become a threat how to do everyone I, yeah. else? What, what's the best way for me to run this 800 meters? And I remember talking to Sarah and I came off after a race and I, she said tell me about the race and I would tell her all this information well such a body went off and such a body was in my lane and then such a body did this and such a body and when I came to the end of it 
she was like, wow, that's a lot of information to process in less than two minutes. <laughs> so I just didn't process any information in the end. I almost had a computer program in my head. I had eight words, one for every hundred meters. And no matter what was going on around me, I'm going to say these eight words. I'm going to action these eight words. And it was the simplest. It's like, it was like I'd been an actress on a stage and I hadn't learned the words. I'd got no script. So I was going to races with a script and I just did my eight words, which corresponded to an action and just became a lot better runner. Um, You know, nothing to do with anything physical I did in the gym or on the track or on the hills or my long runs or anything like that. It was just getting my brain in gear. I just had a cute computer program that I, I just pressed go, ran it and just almost tried to become non-emotional and just do my eight words regardless of what everybody else is doing. And I'd walk off the track going, that's the easiest thing ever. Like, why, why have I not been doing this before? It's so simple. But that was that was the key for the rest of my career, really. And with using those eight words and everything that you'd learned, working with Sarah and having your whole team set up around you, you did then go on to become a world bronze medalist in the 800 finally. So what was that like in that moment? Would you say that was like your most perfect race? Yeah, that, that, if I could only have one moment in the sport, that was it. Like I literally could remember going to bed that night. I think I slept for about 45 minutes. Like I just kept (laughs) replaying the race. Um, wasn't a perfect race in the sense of I ran wide, very wide, a lot of the a lot of the time. Um, I I do like a fast race, like a true run race from the beginning. And it was a race where, um, you know, um, it just went off fast from the beginning, and and I, I appreciate that. Janice Jipkowski from Kenya, you know, just took it out. She was a reigning world champion, and I'd actually beat her in the semi final. Um, and almost put her out of the final to make that final. In fact, all three medalists, Cassis Amanya, um, Jip Koska and myself, were in the same semi-final. It was the semi-final Mad. of death. It was ridiculous. <laughs> um, so Jip Koska took it out. Then Cassis Amanya, you know, took over. And I remember, like, we'd specifically worked out physiologically which was the best way for me to run. So we'd had a discussion about that race. Obviously, I'm doing my eight words. But... We hoped it would be fast, but if it wasn't fast, I knew where to position myself. So I didn't want to lead it because, you know, kind of experience tells me if someone leads a race, you don't generally go on to win it unless you're significantly better than the rest. So I would have put myself up there like on second place if I needed to. But the way the race went, I was, I was in seventh at the bell and we'd practiced, um, you know, the optimum way for me to run is to get through that first 400 in about 57.5 um, I didn't know it at the time, but when I got my chip um, back, I was 57.49. Oh, wow, so okay. I think Come I on, was, target. I know. I think, you know, <laughs> it wasn't a fluke. In my head, even though I'm doing my eight words, of course you get some emotions that enter your head. So I was like, oh my God, I'm at the back. It's too fast, etc. And then I recognize it as emotion, shut it down, use my word. But I really... You know, I can run 52 seconds. There's no way I needed to be in seventh. But I just knew, no, this feels like the right pace. Keep going. Believe in yourself. They've got to come back to you. (laughs) Come on. If they're going through in 56, they've got to come back to you at some point. Um, And I remember the Italian girl kind of checked me a little bit at the bell. And I remember thinking, oh, this is it now. I've lost my opportunity. And then I remember with 300 to go, literally just cutting up the script just going just make the best of a bad situation just try and pick off as many as you can now 
And then it's a nice feeling when you're picking people off, you know, instead of going backwards, (laughs) it's the best feeling ever. And I just remember running the last bend, like so wide. I was in the outside of lane two, maybe even beginning of lane three, because I just thought I need to run wide because if I wait to the straight, they're gone. So yeah, it was amazing. Like on the line, I I knew I had a medal. I thought it was the bronze. Like I was really close to the silver. I think I was only 200 behind Jip Koskai. And I actually think to myself, if I, if I only ran 800 meters, not about 812 or whatever I ran, (laughs) you know, it would have been obviously a clear silver, but no, that was one of those moments where you pinch yourself and you think to yourself, wow, like I did it. You know, I've watched athletes on TV for years, uh, win a medal. And all of a sudden I'm up on that you know, on that victory lap. And I'm like, you know what? It, it does just happen to normal people. You know, if you just keep plugging away, you know, it, it does happen eventually. And um, I just think the, the main thing was just like, so proud, you know, like I believed I could do it, but believing it and doing it, it's like a completely different thing. Yeah. And, you know, just hearing you there, it just sounds like you were just relieved to just have your moment. Yeah. And 2009 was, like you said, an epic year for you. Definitely your breakthrough year. How, off the back of that, you know, going into winter, how did you keep your feet on the ground knowing what was to yeah. come the following year? I think, you know, I'm always one of those people. I mean, after that race, I did a couple of the races and did pretty well in a couple of, like, Diamond Leagues, um, World Athletics Final I was kind of like top three. I came down with a cold, which is typical of me because when I've been through any emotion, before emotion or after emotion, I generally get run down. I remember going to Gateshead after that um, and I'm looking forward to the athletics being back in Gateshead uh, this year. But I remember going to Gateshead like full of a cold, could hardly breathe, but managed to come top three. Um, That winter, I I just changed my mind again. Like instead of thinking about the British girls who I'd normally battle with, I started all of a sudden thinking about like my international um, components, um, um, opponents, sorry, and started thinking, I wonder what they're doing. You know, my brain just totally changed. I wasn't just focused on... Because you're not average a... anymore? No. You're not? You know what I mean? You're the world individual yeah. medalist? But then I kept thinking, was it a fluke? Was it a fluke? <laughs> but then, you know, because that's just me. And I thought, you know what? I kind of took it the opposite way when you said, you know, like, can you keep your feet on the floor? I almost thought, God, I've got a responsibility now. You know, I was put on funding, full funding, where, you know, I was always way down the funding levels before that. Um, I think it's quite unusual for someone to come from a really low level. And then all of a sudden, I think I went from like E to A or something. Um, And yeah, I just took it as a real responsibility. So really worked hard that winter. And then 2010 was just another, another great year off the back of that. And it was first stop indoors, yep. breaking the, your own British indoor record. And then you did win silver in Doha as well at the World Indoors as well. So another medal to add to your now collective roster. Yeah, it was great. You know, I, do you know what? This before Doha, I wish I could get myself. I never felt this moment at any other point before that World Champs indoors in Doha. I remember warming up and it even sounds cocky and this is not me whatsoever. But I genuinely was looking at the clock going, oh, I get to run in 45 minutes. I get to run in 45 minutes. Well, normally I'm nervous. And I thought, I wonder what colour medal I'll get. Like, there was no doubt in my head. I literally couldn't wait for the race to come because then I was going to get my medal. And I've never called it my medal. Never thought, never been excited for a race. When you just know you're in that kind of shape where, you know, 
I was so fortunate that I had no illness and no injury, um, you know, and got some really good training in. And I remember that race specifically, you know, um, Alicia Johnson, um, can't think what, Montano oh, now, yes. uh, you know, led the race out. And then I remember just thinking, oh, it's too slow now. I'll take it on. And like the confidence, it's ridiculous. I just took it on. And then Savina had just passed me um, on the line. Um, and that's the little thing that grates me because um, she's had a ban now since then. And it's it went back three months um, after that race. So I've never obviously had that upgrade. But, you know, I walked off the track and I ran 158.43. And I thought, to do that in a championship race with no pacemaker. Indoors as well. Indoors. And I was like, you know what? I was more impressed with the time, even than the medal. And I thought, right, okay, I've got a world indoor and I've got a world outdoor medal now. Like, come on, stop. Start believing in yourself. You, you need to. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't believe that there's anything wrong with having that moment. You know, I listen to you then just talking about you like saying, oh, well, you know, this might sound cocky. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, but Believe you know in your source. Yeah, I know. Because but... every athlete goes through the exact same thing yeah. because, what do we call it? Imposter syndrome. Yeah, We course. tell ourselves, <laughs> yeah. this is not where we're supposed to yeah. be. We're not supposed to believe where we've caught, where yeah. we are right now, you know, off the back of, you know, winning a world medal or Olympic medal, yeah. going into the following year. You're literally waiting for your moment where you're just like, nah, this ain't it. Like, yeah, no, Now I'm going to go that. back to fifth or sixth yeah, and then I'm going to yeah. have to work myself back up again. Yeah, but, we do that all the time. Like you were saying, like, you know, it went through slow and then you just went through, you know, yeah. the second lap with a whole heap of confidence. There's yeah. nothing wrong in that. You know, and I think, if I think back to you know the year before that indoors at the european indoors and i'd run that amazing time in the semi-finals and then i allowed the final to be really slow a year later for me actually to think no it's too it's a world champs it's too slow i'm gonna pick it up and go to the front and not have those thoughts well i can't do that because it's a world indoors i can't i can't do that because I, I used to generally have those feelings all the time and that's kind of why i don't think i won medals as early as what i could have probably done but um, yeah, I always think if I if I had two moments, what the two that we just spoke about, Berlin, because it was that first amazing moment, and then just the complete confidence that I had, had in Doha, you know, no one was stopping me from winning a medal. And, you know, I went on to win other medals, but just never got myself in a headspace like I got myself for, for that race in Doha. I just, athletics would have been a lot more pleasurable if I would have had more moments <laughs> like that. But yeah, I just was my biggest backer before that race. I think it's fair to say you definitely used that a couple of months later um, at the Europeans in 2010 as well in Barcelona. Yeah, no, that was completely different, that one. Um, so I had had an injury. I'd had a, a bit of a niggle that year. Um, and I had seven weeks off at the beginning um, during the season. So I'd opened up um, that year and I'd gone to the Diamond League in Shanghai and done really well. Um, and then I remember going to Rome and have you raced, have you raced in Rome? You know what? That was one of the damn things I didn't get to do. I heard everyone talks about the ice cream and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The ice cream's definitely good. But, um, the up track's amazing because it's got, you know, all the, all the gods, you know, all the, uh, Greek, uh, Greek gods, all the Roman gods, (laughs) all the Roman gods. It's, It's just one of those iconic places. And again, it was one of those moments where I was running this race. And with 300 to go, I was like, "Mm, too slow. I'll take it on now. And I've got such a good sense of my body as well. You know, come back to, you know, that Berlin race when I knew I had to run 57.5. So I did 57.49. 
I, I just know with 300 to go what to do because I know if I'm going to last or not. Um, and I was leading the race and with about 80 to go, I had something what I just experienced is all of a sudden I had lactic just out of nowhere. I was like, this is strange. So I ended up almost like hobbling to the line um, thinking I had lactic. And I, I came third and I ran a 158 something, which was great for the beginning of June at that time of year. But then I literally could not walk. And I was like, oh my God, how am I going to even get off the track? And I was a little bit embarrassed and I probably walked through the pain and made it worse because I don't like telling people things. Um, literally, I remember Gemma Simpson, another British 800 meter girl, you know, being there and she'd finished behind me in that race. And I was like, Gemma, like, what am I going to do? I, I literally can't walk. And she was the same as me. Like, oh, you just run 158. Like, why, why can you now not walk? So I literally remember calling my husband, getting, as soon as I landed at Manchester airport, went to the physio and, you know, the physio watched the race and was like, you were limping like that last 40 meters. I think you've done something. And, you know, they were looking at my calf and doing some deep needling, which, you know, my mum always used to say to me when I go to the physio to have physio or massage, have a nice time. It's like, Mom, no. there's no aromatherapy <laughs> or candles going on here like you taking the mess. yeah I'm gonna be on that bed there's so many times I've contemplated whether I want to be an athlete anymore when you're on that physio bed it's just ridiculous <laughs> um but I just remember these needles going in these deep needles and I've had it numerous times but it was one of those times where I had tears rolling down my face without me even doing a crying noise like I had no like you know kind of I couldn't even agree that I was crying they would just come in and I was like I've done something haven't I you know and then that was just a week at start of seven weeks where I couldn't run and um, I'm such a perfectionist because I always try so hard in my training I think to myself if I don't do every single training session I'm not going to be as good so it was a nightmare for someone who's a perfectionist and I've got my kind of monthly training plan so whatever I should have done on Tuesday cross it out supposed to do whatever on Wednesday cross it out and actually in the end Trevor ended up taking it off me ripping it up and throwing away and saying that's we've not got that anymore that you're in a different situation um so again sports psychologist was amazing we did a bit of a timeline of where we are I think it took me to about five weeks um out from um kind of the injury where it took me two weeks to make a lot of mistakes and then we fa- the last five weeks, we kind of did a timeline and go, right, where do I need to be one week before the Europeans? Right, well, I will need to have worn my spikes and done something at race pace. Okay, two weeks before the Europeans. What's your minimum? All right, so I need to be doing three sessions that week. Okay, three weeks before. And then when I saw it as a different plan, I was like, okay, it's not the perfect plan. Like, I've got all these things that I'd love to have, but that's not an option anymore. So... We kind of, I was just aqua jogged, um, just had loads of treatments. Um, you're not going to like this, Annika, but Man United were quite good to me. No, I don't like that. <laughs> they let me use um, all their facilities, like underwater treadmill and So oxygen. they let you use, where they train, Carrington? In Carrington, okay, yeah. They were so brilliant. They were so good to BFF me. BFF would say Alex. Yes. Well, do you know what? Trevor is hilarious because he's never starstruck by anyone in his life he could have a conversation with anyone but we were walking down a corridor once and I just felt his uh hand just touch my leg I was like what's going on and then I could see Sir Alex walking down the <laughs> corridor and it's a, and you know what I've got to say how amazing he was because he knew the names of everyone in that building at any one time so he wasn't like looking at us like who are you two he knew we were in, like, they've obviously had to get his permission, like, he was apparently amazing with all the maintenance staff, the cleaners, everyone, and he was like, well, how are you two? 
Trevor couldn't speak. <laughs> I was like, he's going to be like, what's wrong with this guy? He literally had a frog in his throat. I was like, oh yeah, really good. Thank you so much. It's been great, gonna, you know, using facilities. It's like, oh, well, I really hope you make it to the champs. And then wandered off. And then Trevor was still like, <laughs> so that was it it was his big opportunity to sell himself and he totally uh folded he had seconds yes. and he lost his moment he absolutely lost his moment but yeah I had so much help in that way and then you know I went to Barcelona and it was this whole thing like it was an Achilles problem it was Achilles tendinopathy and into my calf as well and I had this whole thing that I couldn't even do drills properly so my whole warm-up where I normally do two mile warm-up I'd do stationary drills um stationary stretches I'd do drills I do strides all of that was gone so I almost had to warm up a little bit like a footballer I had to do multi-directional stuff you know stuff that's not really conducive to athletics but that's all I had and then the call room was a nightmare being in there for like half an hour before your race where an Achilles tendon's going to get stiff course, and it needs to yeah. move so I just had so many protocols and things going on behind the scenes so when the actual race came of the 800 meters you know, I just, it was quite slow. So I, I just went to the front from the beginning, which is not what I like to do. But I went to the front, kind of just made it a 59, made it quite nice. And basically I did a 158 something, made it two 59s. Um, I had to do that because I didn't have a sprint finish because I couldn't get on my toes. Yeah, you couldn't move. <laughs> I couldn't move. <laughs> and I literally, you know, look at that race and I kind of feel like I stole that medal because I wasn't in the shape to run a 158 and win a medal but the great thing was my head was in amazing shape my head just was like look this is a two minute race everything I've had to put up with these last seven weeks you know spending all my time every day twice a day doing training I don't want to do um everyone who'd help me I just and actually I really played it down to the media as well I hardly told anyone I was I was injured um, I just feel like I just pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. And again, that's one of my proudest medals because um, it's now a silver medal because um, I got an upgrade. But it's one of those where I was just like, how have I even got this medal? Because certainly two years earlier, I, I wouldn't even have made it out of that heat. So it was just one of those things that it came from kind of personal development rather than something that comes easy to me. So that that was a good one. Yeah, I think the personal development is all part of it. So yeah. you saying like, oh, I think it was stolen. I think it's stolen. <laughs> I don't think it is. Yeah. I just think we just go through the, those moments. And, you know, fortunately for you, you did have help. Imagine being able to ch- turn up at Carrington, my United ground. Not that I would, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, having access to all of How those good. facilities and, and they were all up, backing you. I know, drive up to the barrier. Hi, it's Jenny Meadows. They're like, okay, you're allowed in. Like, how good is that? So when I'm on this start line for a race, I'm just like, I've got the biggest backers ever here, you know, and knew that some of those guys would be watching as well. So like, say Alex, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't want to, I didn't want to shirk that kind of responsibility and that kind of opportunity I've been given. So yeah, it was, it was a good year, 2010. It was. So you know, just listening to that story of having access to Man United and having a great support system around you, you know, over the years during your career, what was it specifically that motivated you during those moments where you just felt like giving up with the injuries? That's a good one, that. Um, I just think, I think just because I did the sport for so young and it becomes your identity. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, obviously we'll come to it, but I, in 2012, when I actually missed the whole of the season, 
I, I remember, you know, having this conversation with my brother, who I've already said was not sporty whatsoever. And when I couldn't run, I remember ringing him and I was like, so, you know, Andrew, like, if I don't run, what, what am I doing? Like, what, what are my days about? And it was one of those moments where you just think, my goodness, you know, life is bigger than this. He was like, well, you know, you're a daughter, you, you're a sister, you're a wife, you're a friend. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I am. So I think probably like family, you know, just having those people who, who are around you and, you know, understand you. I think a big part as well for me was obviously Trevor because, you know, Trevor came into my life um, when I was quite young. So we were dating from when I was age 16. So gosh, back in 1990, end of 1997, going into 1998 and ended up being that coach role as well. Um, you know, I, you, you know, obviously know, you know, you've got to be around somebody, find someone in your life who fits your lifestyle um, and that's quite funny how we started coaching me. You know, he suggested it when we were kind of dating and we're both athletes. And I was like, no way, we're never going to do that. And then literally like two years later, uh, when he retired, I was like, you know what, you really get me. And it's not even about the event and things like that. You can learn that sort of stuff. Um, but you get me as a person. So I think just having someone every day, you know, it's a privileged position when I think about it. You know, I, I was in receipt of lottery funding, but you know, we were kind of like, how can we actually use this? Let's not just have it as savings. How can we actually use this to make me a better athlete? And we decided, well, you know what? That can be your wage. So why don't you give up work? So what was his job? So he used to work over at Sports City in Manchester um, as head athletics coach. So part funded by England Athletics, part by Manchester City Council. So every day, you know, we had this whole routine, like we had one of the rooms upstairs in our house, which was like our physio room. So I get up and, you know, he knew my Achilles needs moving and this needs doing. And, you know, even before I go out on my morning jog, I'd had a 20 minute session to make sure my hip flexors were okay, etc. And he'd often come on the bike with me. And then everything to what am I eating for lunch? You know, Trevor's the chef. So, you know, I made him work for that way. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Every <laughs> single penny. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and all of that sort of stuff to there for my training sessions. Would even come to physio stuff with me so if something was tight he knew how to do some treatment on me at home and obviously all the camps and things like that so I literally had no excuse you know um at the same time I'm proud of us because we did just use every resource we could get and we didn't just sit back and expect things to come to us so I've always been based in Wigan I didn't put myself you know the high performance center or anything like that we made our own team so we sourced our own strength conditioning coach and we strength um, our own sports psychologist um, nutritionist you know really put the team around me and I think, you know, I remember Charles Van Comeny, who was a head coach uh, for a number of years of British athletics. He came to Wigan and he watched me. I was training at Wigan Warriors because they allowed me, the rugby league team, they allowed me to use their gym. So Man United and <laughs> Wigan Warriors. Why are you trying to skirt over it for, Jennifer? <laughs> You're really skating over these big league people, you know? People really, yeah, they really like backed me, which was amazing. But I remember Charles coming into Wigan Warriors and, you know, it's not like Man United, you know, he, he'd gone to Chelsea the week before and I think he probably actually turned his nose up at these facilities, but they're great for rugby league and so much better than what I could access as an athlete at my local running track, you yeah. know, at Robin Park. Um, and 
you know, I remember him saying after he met Mark, who was my strength conditioning coach at Wigan Warriors, and we went out for dinner. I remember him saying, so all these people who help you, your team, what's in it for them? Why, why do they do it? And I actually thought, well, I don't know, like, why, why are you asking me that? You know, it just seemed a really strange question. And he said it again. And then I felt a bit embarrassed saying it, but I was just like, because, because they like me, <laughs> you know, like, and he's like, well, none of them are getting paid and they're all professionals. Like, why are they doing? And I was like, cause maybe it's like fun for them and a challenge and it's something different from work. So I literally think I had authentic people wanting to help me for the right reasons. And no one was trying to use my name to get anything. They were already doing whatever they wanted in their field. But I always say, I think it was Trevor. I think everyone likes Trevor maybe even more than me. I think maybe Trevor's the one who approached them and people can't say no to him. Of course. And, um, Good old Trevor. Yeah. And then they, they end up working with us. But, you know, I think it's a testimony. Like, I still see all of those people. They're still in my life. And, you know, I think sometimes when sometimes when you're a paid professional once you've finished your career like that's it but I've still got these people in my life which the lifelong friends which is amazing definitely is and you know I know you touched on Trevor um just talking about him I just see you beaming <laughs> <laughs> with the lights I literally he's hilarious like he just makes me laugh every day and I think <laughs> do you know what I mean people have got different things that they want out of relationships but I always think you know what if someone can make me laugh every day that that's what you want and I should you know when I retired I remember Tony Minicello actually saying to me and how's Trevor and I was like what do you mean how's Trevor he's like well how's he took your retirement well, I have no idea. I've never asked him. You know, I, um, I actually don't care because this is about me right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, so. come on, Tony. And then I was like, I remember going home that night, going, "So, how is everything?" <laughs> and I told him what Tony said, and he's like, "Yeah, it's hard. When I go to the track and I coach all the other athletes, like, and you're not there, like, it's not as much fun." And it and it really stands out to me. And I was like, "Oh God!" Like, never even thought about that. So, yeah, he was just someone who's selfless you know I don't want to say athletes are selfish but we're self-focused aren't we we're self-focused where as a coach you're the opposite you're kind of completely selfless and actually if me and Trevor ever argue about anything it's normally me telling him off because he just gives so much of himself all the time and sacrifices us so I'm always like Trevor what like I've not seen you for I don't know three weekends now what's going on so um yeah I've probably got a smile on my face because he's obviously a great person and he, he does most of my images of Trevor or him being acting a fool and things like that and <laughs> I just think you know times when you're down it's good to not have somebody who's down as well or stressing you know which my mum would probably stress about things and maybe you've had what I call a generic coach you know they might be stressing about things but Trevor would just take things in his stride always just make me feel like things are fine and he might worry or do things behind the scenes but he'd he'd not always tell me things he'd just sort things out so very very fortunate he's a solid man solid (laughs) solid husband and coach you got there (laughs) you know you you did mention about like you know when Tony Minicello you know spoke to you and said you know how's Trevor doing I think as athletes who have retired you don't really realize in that perspective what it's at what impact it has on the coach yeah but for you that's your husband so you say you're talking about like selfless and not selfish yeah. and you're thinking about all oh, you, 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 because, <laughs> but you don't think like that's, that's my husband as well. Yeah. I need to, I, that's something I need to make sure he's okay. Yeah. And you know, I don't know if there's something that, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, 
people being there for you during grievance and during, you know, when you've retired, you know, coaches need help and support as well. You know, I, I often think, you know, Trevor's a young, capable person, but you know, it must be really daunting for some coaches if they don't have kind of the capacity or the ability to, to phone someone like a Man United up and, you know, sort, sort some amazing provision out. And, you know, if they're relying on people, kind of practitioners helping them and stuff, you know, and then they must feel down when athletes are injured and they might sometimes feel responsible or if you've had an amazing athlete and they've retired, it's, it's, it's a huge impact, you know, and I'm, I'm all for the voluntarily coach um, all these volunteers who coach for a number of years and they just dream that they're going to get one athlete, you know, who, who makes it, to it Olympics yes. or something. Yeah. And like who, who does that? Not many at the end of the day. And so many people, put so much into it um you know so yeah the voluntary section is um amazing in our sport yeah they are and they don't they don't get the credit that they deserve as well so moving outside of the sport in the middle of your career um you also became an honorary scouser oh i did (laughs) studying at liverpool john moore's university in the middle of your career and doing a degree so what was that like what made you do it and how did you manage such a busy schedule between like Liverpool and Wigan? Yeah, so I, I lived at home. Um, that was part of the deal. So I remember literally saying to my parents, so if you buy me a car, I can just, you know, commute every day. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was a good deal. Um, so yeah, I I did something quite strange where most, ath- well, most athletes at the time were all going down like the sports science route and things like that. And I just wanted to do something different. So I did my degree in English because I kind of enjoyed enjoyed that subject at school um it was tough though it was a tough subject course um it was really tough I think I made life quite hard for myself doing that it was something I'm one of these people if I've done it I won't back down from it so I remember at the end of the first year you were given an elective so you did another subject alongside it just in case you didn't enjoy it and you did better in another subject and I did business um and I actually was doing better at business than English but I just, I won't back down from a challenge. <laughs> so it was a tough three years kind of, you know, driving to uni, driving back, etc. Um, and, you know, living at home as well, didn't really get into the whole university kind of life and stuff, which maybe for an athlete, it was the best thing. I mean, I think the options are so much different now. You know, we've got so many good universities around the country who really understand sports. And, you know, one of the things I do for British athletics is a work on the futures program. So we give, you know, all the athletes so much better advice than what probably what I, I mean, I literally got no advice what to do and how to have that dual career, you know, to do your education and do sport as well. But yeah, that three years went pretty quickly. Um, got a couple of good friends that, you know, I, I kind of got through university and still kind of keep in touch with them and they've loved following my career, but, uh, yeah, it was good three years, but it goes so fast, doesn't it? When you're at uni. Yeah, it does. So you studied um, during the last couple of years of your career. Um, So what was that like? And what did you actually study? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, that kind of discussion that a lot of people are having at the moment, that transition between being an athlete all your life and then what you're going to do afterwards. So I think, you know, I was really realistic. It was an Olympic cycle. I was going to be 35 in 2016. And so two years prior to that, I enrolled um, at UCLan, University of Central Lancashire, and I did a master's in sports marketing and business management. So 
I think because I'd done a little bit of business in the first year at uni and the first time round in my undergrad um, course, I kind of really was interested in that. Then I think as well the sports marketing, just from what I've learned through the sport and things I've got involved in. So it was distance learning, so I could do it over two years, so I didn't have to go to lectures, which was good. But I don't know, I feel like when you go back to university as a mature student, like you've just got, you're more worldly, aren't you? So like I ended up getting... I mean, literally you were, you travelled the whole world. Yeah, yeah, literally worldly. <laughs> and, you know, I remember when I was, you know, when you go to university and you're 18, and between 18 and 21, it's still like you've just finished school because you've done school, you've done college, and then you've gone obviously back to uni. When you're paying for it yourself and you're an adult, it's completely different, you know. So I really did loads of studies, like can't even remember doing that many references when I was younger doing that undergraduate study, but you know, did really well. Like was always in the seventies and the eighties. I was like, I'm good at this subject, getting a distinction. This is good. <laughs> but um, yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, I remember actually going to the world champs in Beijing in 2015 and doing loads of my assignments there. And I'm thinking, this isn't ideal really. Like I should be concentrating on the world champs, but maybe it was a good distraction um as well but um yeah I I definitely set myself up for a career outside of athletics and something relevant and something I was interested in so then when 2016 came I didn't just go oh what now yeah I had I kind of had things already in the pipeline yeah because that's something that you know we don't really tend to think about because you're so lost in the moment especially when everything is going well and you know I don't know if you realise this, you probably have, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So during your career, really? <laughs> <so> you. <laughs> you won your first uh, World Juniors in for, in the 4x4 in 2000. Yeah. 2009, you become a world medalist, winning a bronze medal in the 800. 2010, you then win, become medalist in the world indoors and European outdoors and then 2011 you then win the glorious diamond league you become diamond league winner so jennifer had dollars left right and center (laughs) (laughs) but you know because you did have such a longevity of of a career you don't appear to me to be the type of person where you were doing it for the love of money because let's be real there's no money in the sport in fact there was a lot more money and you can correct me if I'm wrong especially the way things are looking now I think there's a lot more money back then when there's a lot more meat available when you were doing the the golden league um damn even I got a lane in the the golden league and I was like you know eight and no 2021 20, coming up in the sport and I wasn't really running that fast at all but I'd somehow get a lane um, and then you had you know a whole heap of meets that you could do around yeah. Europe yeah and um, so when you do have you know that financial support from winning the Diamond League becoming Diamond League winner winning those medals what impact does that have on you like moving forward like yeah. with that you know having financial just yeah. being much more financial stability yeah really. just being yeah. comfortable you know it's just the way our sport works where for years and years and years, you graft and you have nothing and you'd love like a little bit of help. And then, you know, you're in a situation where you're winning medals, you know, especially that Diamond League, obviously win the title. So obviously, and I collected lots of points, which comes with prize money, uh, running up to it. And then you've got sponsorship and you've got lots of opportunities to make money elsewhere. That's almost like when everything comes at once and you're almost like, I could have done with some of this years ago. (laughs) That would have been nice. You know, and actually you might have triple what you need, but you think it could just do with being filtered 
down into the sport. Yeah. You know, um, I remember going to the Olympic Games and I think my lottery funding was £5,000, you know, and if I don't run well, like, that's all I'm guaranteed. Like, I went to that Olympic Games with no kit sponsor or anything. So, you know, I, I'm one of these people who you take it if it's there, you know, but then at the same time, it's very laughable. And I talked about this to several people at the time and just saying, wow, you know, even just having £10,000 per year leading up to that and having some security, you know, you can pay your bills, etc., you know, without thinking, oh, I've got to go and do this meet or I need to do this meet. Or if you've got an injury and it takes you out for seven weeks thinking, oh, well. How am I going to survive? How am I going to get paid? Yeah, what's going on here? So that's just the way the sport works, you know. And I don't think there's many sports who that works that way. But that's it. It just really allowed me to just leave no stone unturned. So I remember I used to go... um on training camp to South Africa. So I had a funder, Barry Wells, who he's got the Barry Wells Trust. He sponsors some athletes for um, maybe four or five years leading up to 2012. And, you know, a few of us afterwards, uh, Katrina Johnson-Thompson being probably his most famous one. And Barry would give a certain sum of money to me and say, okay, how are you going to spend that? And I'd say, okay, so I'm going to fund this warm weather training camp, this altitude camp. So British Athletics would have them. But I think, no, I really want to go to Potter's Fume in South Africa because that works for me. I could go on a free trip or I could spend this money that you're giving me and I can use it. You know, I could have gone on the free trip and banked the money, <laughs> but I actually thought, you know, I've got this opportunity. So it would pay for myself and it would pay for Trevor and it would e- we'd even take our own physio out there. Um, and I just think, you know what? My big thing was, Standing on the start line, you know, knowing that I could not have done any more. And that for me was like a comfort blanket. So I stand on that start line. I just think, look, I've been to altitude camp. I've had Trevor here full time. I've had my physio full time. Treat me every morning before I've, you know, gone out to practice. Treat me at the end of the day to check, you know, glutes aren't too tight. That's going to impact my next session. Hamstrings are okay. Hip flexors, etc., etc. So yeah, it just really allowed me just to to do everything that I needed, and I didn't need to worry about things or take on an extra race to think, oh, I need to, to race here. I could be more strategic in my approach to the championships. Yeah, because, you know, with having that financial support definitely helps. But there's something I want to touch on slightly that you did mention before. Um, and you are one of those people who unfortunately have become a victim of losing out on medals yeah. due to um, other athletes doping um, in your events. And no one really talks about the financial loss that you go through in that moment. And, um, you know, it's just... It's just tough because yeah. there's one thing losing the medal, but then what about that money from having that shoe sponsor who yeah. are going to pay you your bonus? Yeah. So it's, I'm it's losing huge. out on that. So how how do you think the you know the doping within the sport and your event affected you? Yeah, you know, and it was significantly in the women's eight hundred as well. Um, it was right. <laughs> you know, one of my my nemesis almost. I, I beat her twice, but Maria Savinova, obviously. Um, you know, she was she's ended up being the face of the Russian doping program. Um, she's the one where Yulia Stepanova had the microphone in her pocket, and she got Maria Savinova to say what she'd been doing, and so she's the snitch. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I was such a fan of Maria Savinova, like. I don't think to myself, if someone beats me, they must be cheating. I just think, well, they're either more talented or, 
well, I know they can't be hard, more hard working. So maybe I just did put it down to talent. Um, and yeah, you know, I've had some metal upgrades, which is great. So I had a bronze from the Europeans upgraded to a silver. I also had a silver European indoors upgraded to the gold. I've also inherited a medal um, from the 4x4 at the World Champs as well. Um, but then I know there's other medals in my cabinet that should be there or the wrong colour, which is frustrating. Um, uh, I almost feel like a bit foolish, almost like I had my head buried, buried in the sand or something because I just didn't, you know, I was embedded in the sport but just didn't believe that was the case. I think... Sometimes you think, oh, people choose dope in isolated cases, but then, you know, to actually have a, you know, systematic doping approach is, you know, still absolutely bewildering. But it, but it does, it does cost you financially, you know, it costs you emotionally because you go to bed thinking, I, I literally remember Paris 2011 European indoors, I got a medal, silver in the 4x4 and a silver in the 800 and it sounds absolutely pathetic, but I went to bed thinking, oh, I've only won two silvers today. You know, that should have been one of the best um, days of my life, really. But yeah, you know, financially, you get rewarded from sponsors. You get rewarded in championships for positions, a bonus from British Athletics. So, you know, we're not talking a lot of money, but, you know, a thousand pounds here added to maybe fifteen hundred pounds added to then you go to a race and you get appearance money you know, you might get $5,000 for, you know, being a bronze medalist, but, you know, it might have been 10 for a silver medalist and 15 for a gold medalist. So somebody actually tried to add it up uh, for me at some point. Um, and it was something like £200,000, which, you know... £200,000? Yeah, in bonuses and things that I should have probably had and how did so, that make you feel? Because I would have started swinging, to be fair. <laughs> Honestly, I would have. I would have, I would yeah. have been so angry. That, yeah. So, like, when you think about the significance of, like, maybe picking up a couple of grand here, 5K here, getting your bonus when you shoot sponsor, yeah, I don't know, 30, 50. It all adds it up. It all adds up, 200K yeah. is a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Um, And it's one of those, it's like, you know what, like... I still did athletics and you said it earlier, like it wasn't for that financial reason. I still did athletics for the reason that I started when I was seven. You know, I did it to challenge myself, to get a personal best, etc. But then as an adult, you do actually realise, you know, this is your job and this is what you're trying to do. So it is frustrating, but it did still leave me in the situation where when I finished athletics, I was like, okay, what's next? Because I, I need to earn money where obviously if you've got another 200,000, you're not as in as much of a rush and you could, you know, have that little bit more of a financial security behind you. Um, you know, I, I've not done bad from athletics. I had some good years and I'm really grateful for those good years. It set me <laughs> you up. You had some incredible years. Yeah. You know, it's really set me up, um, and give me opportunities and you know giving me some good material possessions and things like that which is great but at the end of the day it is robbery isn't it you know and it is and I just don't know how morally people can do that you know it's just un unbelievable you know that people can sleep at night and you know look back at some races where athletes won ahead of me and they're delighted and they're crying and they're showing all this joy in their face and I'm like well how, how did they do that because they didn't 
achieve it naturally. It's, you know, they performance enhance the the performance here. So what? I, I just don't understand it. You know, it's just beyond my kind of values in life. So yeah, frustrating. But at the end of the day, I know I can look myself in the mirror and go, you know what? I, I did all right. I did, I did my best I could. And the sport's been great for me and my personal development. And I've got some good rewards out of it. But yeah, there's just no no place in sport for it. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who think you should have life bans because I think you cross a line. It, it's not great. And I know sometimes people say, well, I had to do it. My coach said it, or this was just the way it was, you know, especially in Russia, there was, I was either going to be in the team or I wasn't going to be in the team. And I know, um, Yulia Stepinova, who was a whistleblower said she couldn't live with herself. So she just had to, you know, get it off her conscience, which we've all got a lot to thank her for, but she's got a far worse life now for doing that. And I know it takes someone really brave to do that, but I think you've got to be able to look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and, be able to sleep at night and unfortunately I still think a lot of those Russian athletes like Maria Savinova can because she just thinks she was in the system and she's been financially rewarded and she still has some medals and they've never been taken off her so do we need to go and find her find an address we let's, let's locate her <laughs> I know people you know no I don't I really do. no <laughs> Jennifer <laughs> oh um, I was that, gonna... that, that's the end of our uh, beautiful uh, friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Just to elaborate on the doping, um, you know, speculation that was going on around within the sport and your events specifically, were you aware of any individuals that were did did have some, you know, whispers or going around or maybe you or Trevor or other, you know, athletes who you competed on the circuit with were like, you know, this person might be someone because, yeah. you know, it's it's hard to have to imagine knowing you're competing against someone who yeah. you know is dirty yeah. you know could potentially beat you especially when medals are on the line there's one thing you know fighting for a place in the final you like you know with the women's 800 it's first two and you've got to run 50 158 157 to even make the yeah, final and so you lose now on potentially making a place in the final to this person but then losing medals to someone who you know is dirty yeah that's why i said i would start swinging <laughs> yeah yeah you know the, a couple of ukrainians um Petchluk, um and i can't think of the other girl's name off the top of my head now but um you know for a number of uh, krevson um those two particularly like always seem to their form really changed and that's one of the significant things isn't it and they'd always not be that good on maybe a diamond league and then they'd come at a champs and you know, they've both had subsequent bans and that's frustrating. You know, I can think all the way back to 2007, myself and Marilyn Okoro, some, you know, European indoor champs. I actually only have one European indoor medal and I think I should have four or five, you know, it's really frustrating. Um, there was always the odd Russian athlete, um, you would also think. So Kat um, Kostensteyer, um, she made the final in Beijing, um, 2008 and she ran 156 and um, I remember actually in Daegu in 2011 she was having a really bad season really bad season running 2-4 and she went back home to Russia and she came back running 156 and you know the Daegu final is probably one of the most frustrating championships of my life I missed the final uh, finished ninth and then if you look back in the, in those uh, record books now I came third in my semi I'm actually down as winning that semi and only three of the um 
eight athletes in that final, their results still stand. So five of them have been um, subsequent had a ban. So that's really frustrating for me because in 2011, um, you know, we talk about finance as well. I, I was frustrated after that race. I was really upset, you know, thinking I'd let people down as well, which that's kind of my character. Um, and then, you know, financially, I remember my lottery funding got, got cut in half um, because I didn't make the final. And I was, you know, someone who'd medaled previously at the previous championships, which goes against you. And then the same sort of things with my kit sponsor, reductions, etc. So not making that final probably cost me about £40,000. But actually, go back in the record books, I won that semi-final, but I just wasn't given that opportunity to run in the final. So it's just moments like that where you know people are cheating and you know i i actually went to went, went to watch liverpool actually okay you like this good team <laughs> <laughs> with cat at the time because a sponsor asked us both to go there and kind of got talking to her and then it was a couple of months later in the season and like i say she'd run the 204 and then next minute 156 and at that world champs in in daegu she couldn't look me in the eye and I just thought she knew. she she knew she cheated me, which I appreciate that she probably did have morals. She was bordering on someone who had morals. Um somewhat. Some some morals. <laughs> um but she yeah, she she couldn't look me in the eye. I remember literally going back to the athlete's village afterwards and putting my bag through the scanner and she was behind me and Trevor literally said to me, She she hundred percent cheated. Like, we know what her form was just a few weeks ago. No one turns it round like that. And look, she can't even speak to us now. And then literally six months later, it came out that she, that she had. And, you know, like I say, it's financial thing, but emotional as well. Because I literally, you know, it's a long way home, isn't it? From yeah. South Korea. When you're on that plane, <laughs> thinking to I yourself. I think that was the plane everyone got sick as well. It was. <laughs> it was. So it wasn't good. It wasn't nice to end that no. way. And you're coming back from that chance and you're thinking... I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Um, and then half of you go, oh, people cheating. And I probably knew they were, like definitely her on that occasion. But hey, you can't do anything about it. You can only do your own thing. And, you know, like I say, I wasn't in it for the money. I was in it for the medals. And I, I got some, which I'm really grateful for. But, you know, not necessarily the right ones at the right time in the right colour. Yeah. And just looking towards the end of your career. So it did end at the European Championships in Amsterdam in 2016. Did you know in that moment that you were done with the sport? And what was that like? Yeah. So it was always going to be my last year, 2016. Um, Do you know what? I I really struggled from um, the kind of March time of 2015. So 2015 indoors was amazing. I ran four of the five fastest times in the world. Um, Won every event I went to, you know, my first race indoors, I won it by five seconds. It was just like a low-key meet in Vienna for England. I ran a one, I remember it really, really well. 159.21. I remember ringing Trevor up and he was like, my goodness, didn't expect you to kind of come out with that sort of time straight away. Um, Fastest time in the world for the past five years. And I was like, gosh, I wonder what I'm going to end up running. And... Yeah, I ended up just coming down with a cold. Like it was, but when I get a cold, it's a heavy cold. So I have it for like a month, which is ridiculous. I hope you haven't got a cold now. No, I've not. I okay, promise. thanks. You're not too close to me anyway. There's a little bit of a virus going around. Do you know oh, what yeah, I mean? Just a small one. Um, but yeah, I, I literally remember getting on the flight 
to Prague where the European champs were and I saw living in Manchester saw a few people from the BBC and they were all like oh are you excited and I was like oh gosh I don't want to say but I've got quite a heavy cold I'm doubting I should do this you know so I did the heat actually felt better than I thought I was going to do in the race won that and then overnight from running in 800 meters when you're full of a cold was a disaster and um, did the semi-finals made the final but was just going downhill and I remember phoning Steve Cram actually from the BBC and saying what do you think I should do and he's just like pull out you know people saying like you've got the rest of the season I pulled out and it seems absolutely nothing considering you know it was just a cold but it was almost like the straw that broke the camel's back for me you know I'd had a couple of injuries in you know years just gone by and I was just like are you joking it's the European indoors now it's the huge favorite to win it and it was almost from that moment I almost protected myself from the sport hurting me again and backed off now I wish I could have my time again and I didn't know I was doing it but I just couldn't make myself hurt in training anymore just couldn't quite find the fight and all year kind of was running two flats which at the end of the day Every time I ran as well that year, being 35, I got a, br- a British veteran record, which are not the records I want to be getting. I just want to get a British record. <laughs> um, and people were like, oh, you're so good for your age. So I was like, forget that. I'm just so good. I want you to say that. But you know, Age shouldn't come into it, It right? shouldn't. But I kept running two minutes. And, you know, two minutes is great. You know, it's the Olympic standard. I think I got the standard because it was a little bit lower that year. I think I got the standard five times, but we know in the women's 800 in Britain. It's fire. It, it's so competitive. <laughs> but just just didn't turn up I mean I even got an Olympic qualifying in the heats at the British champs I just ran the heat didn't even think about it and at the end I remember Catherine Mary saying oh just the Olympic qualifying time I was like oh that was so easy so I could do it but then just in the final it's just like I didn't want to be there I just didn't want to go to Rio I just wanted out and it's really really bizarre um and then just before the European champs in Amsterdam I didn't think I was going to qualify because I actually had a little bit of a um, hamstring strain and I'd never pulled a muscle or anything in my life. So it was almost like, is this a sign? You know, so I'd almost resigned myself like I'm not going to go to Olympics. And then I ran in um, the semi-finals at that European champs and the hamstring problem was really bad with 150 to go and kind of like hobbled home. And straight away, I just thought I can't. I can't have any more now. I'm I'm doing no rehab. I'm I'm not rehabbing this hamstring like I've done. Um and I just had like one of those moments where I just found the British flag in the stadium, stood on the track, looked at it for a little bit, and I was like, okay, I'm done. And and just walked off. And I didn't go through any of the media because I actually couldn't walk. <laughs> I actually was like, it was a long way to go through the media and I was like, they were trying to make me go that way and I was like I can't and they were trying to give me a wheelchair or crutches I was like no 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 I'm not going out this way I'm walking not. off this track <laughs> um so I remember literally hobbling back it was a long way as well to the to cool down and Trevor was there being his normal joyful self and I was like I've retired he's like no 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 no. don't be saying like you've retired to anybody and I was like but I have and he's like no no no, no don't be saying it and I was like oh, a couple of media guys just found me after the race because they wanted like to see what I was thinking. I was like, so I've told everyone. He's like, you've announced that you've retired. We've not even discussed it. I was like, no. Because <laughs> you blindsided I... your coach and your husband. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know what? You'd convince me to try and do another race or whatever. I was like, 
I just can't do it, Trevor. Like, I feel like I'm heartbroken, and maybe I'm heartbroken now from what's gone on the last few years, and it's only just come out. Like, I completely just don't want to do it. And he was kind of like, okay. And again, just that to accept it, you know. And I kind of remember waking up the next day. I was shown a room with Goldie Sayers, who was like, actually, I think I've retired today as well. Oh, but I don't want to, I know, what a room we were. And <laughs> uh, she's like, but I don't want to tell everyone because you've announced yours. I was like, I'm so sorry, oh, I've wow. spoiled your moment. <laughs> and she literally waited like six months to tell anyone after that. Because she's like, oh, I don't know whether everyone would be talking about about mine because you've said yours now I was like oh no Goldie I'm sorry <laughs> so I literally wait, remember waking up the next day and I just felt so free like com- upset for I couldn't still couldn't walk my hamstring but I just felt <laughs> so free I was like it's done like I don't have to worry about the Olympics don't have to worry about everyone asking me anything you know what I, I, I'm completely fine with this and I'm really grateful that I've thought that every single day since I've retired I I go to athletics uh, competitions now and I sit there and I watch and I commentate and I do absolutely loads of different things at matches but I so don't want to be in a pair of spikes on a start line I'm really grateful for my career but I want to say I've walked away on my terms not totally because that last event you know my obviously my hamstring uh pulled my hamstring but at the end of the day I almost did retire on my terms I didn't psychologically want to do any more races after that and I got offered two weeks later to run in the um, anniversary games in the Olympic Stadium but straight away I was just like oh, can I not just come and like have some hospitality and yeah. <laughs> wave to the crowd and that's what I did I just so, want to sit in the um, VIP that's drink what I did. Yeah. and just chill yeah I thought I don't want to rehab my hamstring for two weeks now for one race for one race be nervous will I be able to do it will I not I'm completely done and I don't regret it. I, I think it was the absolute right thing to do. You sound like you've made peace yeah. with your decision and obviously the decision at the time and everything you went through during your career. Because, you know, from when you first started as a child, you know, competing in the sport, then winning the World Juniors, becoming World Junior Champion in 4x4, and then, then winning a whole collective of medals um, during your career. You just seem so much happier now. Yeah, yeah, I am, you know, and I think... Sometimes when you meet people now who you're on the team with, you know, they see a different version of me or I see a different version of them as well because, you know, it's a strange existence, isn't it? (laughs) You know, you're not yourself sometimes. Um, You know, I'm quite a relaxed character. Like I always used to say like until I was maybe, say... 21 I was like you know what guys I was so much fun honestly like but like you just restrict certain like points of your personality because and it's almost like the better an athlete you are the less of your personality you show because it's just so tough it's literally 24 7 for 49 weeks of the year for me I used to have three weeks off at the end of the year and three <laughs> three it's rubbish i'm not even being... halfway by that point i know I'm joking, I'm it's joking. rubbish <laughs> being a, an endurance athlete i still i still like go endurance was i really endurance but yeah that's my event group but you know and you're kind of two weeks and then the third week you're kind of doing an active rest and going to physio and getting things checked and it's like it's a hard existence you know it really is and you know it's great because sometimes i think to myself i'd love a day where i can just go for a run and go to the gym as if i used to complain about that but <laughs> You know, when that's your reality constantly, it's so, so tough. Um, but yeah, it, it's been brilliant. I, I've loved it. But, and you know, 
I always I always think the thing is, if I ever had kids, would I would I tell them to get involved in the sport? And I think about it and I think, you know what, yeah, I would. And I think that's the ultimate kind of message that you give to yourself. If you think you would let your offspring do the same sport, you know, whether they're successful or not, or whether they're disappointed, it's that kind of term character building, you know, and if someone once said to me one more time, character building, I was like, I've had enough of this character building, you know, that's what I've had all through my life, but just, just give you so many skills to just do things in life and certain things and challenges that you have in life. You just do them differently than other people. And, you know, a lot of my friends like Marvel, it's stuff I've got going on in the life. How are you holding all of that together? I'm like, <laughs> you just have to, you know, you've to balance stuff. And I know I've spoke, spoke to Yannicka about, you know, when we've shared rooms and stuff, you know, you had three jobs, four jobs, and you were holding all sorts of things down as a young athlete and training. And, you know, not many people can do those sorts of things. So it's been brilliant. It's been brilliant for me. And I would change things. I wish people didn't um, dope. And, um, you know, I... I wish I wouldn't have had some of the kind of, you know, experiences where I've been disappointed and, you know, I wish I would have believed in myself a little bit earlier and things like that. But ultimately, I could have walked away from the sport, not have had any medals and not have as many highs as I have. And thankfully, the highs outweigh the lows. They sure do. And what does life look like now for Jenny Meadows? So I know since you've retired, you're a frequent flyer still going on holidays, you I and am. Trevor going on all these exotic cruises, <laughs> exotic trips Which everywhere. I was never able to do before. Exactly, yeah. Which is good. So what, yeah, what does life look like now? Um, Like, family family on the horizon kids little little mini jennies and trevor's <laughs> hey, dominating gonna, the world there's never gonna be a mini trevor is there? <laughs> it always be a, a pretty decent size um you know what that's the fun thing because i don't live my life to a plan or a schedule anymore which is kind of quite out of character but i'm still in that rebellious phase i love it um i've been on a couple of flights where you know it's asked for occupation when i'm doing a landing card and i sit there going occupation what do I do um find it hard I, I must admit the first time I put athlete I thought I'm just gonna have to still say I'm an athlete I don't know what to do put anything yeah I know what's, anything. The, what's the worst they're gonna do check unless <laughs> don't put a doctor down if you put a doctor you have to save someone's life potentially yeah, yeah. But you could put anything I fireman could. I could. you know <laughs> solicitor Anything. lawyer I could but yeah that that's that's the question that most people ask me and I don't know the answer I'm busy I do all sorts of stuff, still involved with the sport, do stuff in the sport, out the sport, um, just keep challenging myself to try new things and uh, just never say never. I think I need to learn how to say no a little bit better though, because I say yes to everyone and then I've got no time left. So I need a little bit more of a work kind of life balance because I tend to do a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's good to give back at the end of the day. You know, I appreciate everyone who's help me in the sport and I go to volunteer conferences and I'm on boards and trustees of this that and the other but it's all fun and they're all things I believe in which which is great it has been so wonderful to speak to you, you Jennifer. Too. It's been like therapy. It is. That's what Good. everyone says. I'm completely unqualified. <laughs> I'm completely not even trained. I haven't come close to it but honestly you've been so lovely to listen to. Oh, um and you definitely inspired me when we were competing. Do you remember the first time we competed? Oh, gosh. Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember? So it would have been a sprint. 
Yeah, it was. It was. What was it? A hundred or two? Both. You you beat me in two in both when I was upset. And that's the end of the program. No. Thank you. <laughs> yes, let's leave it there. No. Victory. You beat me. You did. It was... um. I was competing for Liverpool Harriers in a club race and you competing for Wigan. And I think this is when you were, you obviously still doing the fours at this point, yeah. but you hadn't moved to eight. Yeah. And when it I was a cl- speeding my legs. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, 17, 18 at the time. And at that point, no one had really beat me that season oh That no. at that point. And I hadn't really gone on to competing in the seniors, but the club asked me to do it. So I did it. And yeah, I thought, yeah, I can, what? I'm winning this. This is nothing. <laughs> And then you turn up in lane five and I was like, what's going on? Oh, here? she remembers my lane. I do, Hilarious. I do. And then you beat me in the hundred and I was like, and you were like, yeah, good job, good job to everyone. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> and then in the 200, I was like, yeah, I'm coming for your neck. I do not care whatsoever. And then you come off the turn and then you just went past me and I was like, well. <laughs> do you know what? I, I half remember that because I remember you were like an up and coming athlete and I remember thinking, I can't let these chumps to beat me. <laughs> See, but, it's the opposite, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I was like probably under 23 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah you were, you I were. I used to do ones, twos and four by one for my Yeah. Kids, so they were good matches. They were, were, they were. They were good. And I think that was, oh, that. I mean, that was, I didn't run for my club that much um, during my career. But um, yeah, that was one of the moments that stood out. Just because you're not... You know, there's a lot of people who participate in the sport, but when you see, because I was an up and coming athlete at the time, you were like a big name in the sport. So when I saw like someone who's actually on the, you know, the GB teams and stuff, I was like, oh, I want to aspire to be like that. Oh, but she beat you. me. So. Oh, no. But I remember afterwards. I'll, I'll take the win. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember afterwards, after every race you did, so in the 100 and the 200, you literally went round and shook everyone's hand, like, good job, girls, good job. Oh. And you said it to me as well. And I was like, oh. So I couldn't be obviously mad at you because you I was like, mad at me, didn't you? I wanted to, but I was you like, to she's so lovely. She's so lovely. But yeah, oh. I remember those moments. And obviously, you were team captain at different championships as well. So. Jennifer, it was an honour being on Teammates with oh, you. And thank you. thank you so much for sharing your story it's on a pleasure. Hidden Greatness. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe and like. Tell a friend to tell a friend about Hidden Greatness, which is available on all streaming platforms. Catch you on the next episode. Bye.